we are now again. Welcome to the Irish in Sweden podcast. My name is still Philip O'Connor, despite uh, the last month being spent in China, working like a maniac. Um, hopefully, most of you won't have noticed too much difference because uh, we managed to record all the podcasts and put them up there. They all came out automatically as if I was still sitting here in Stockholm. Apart from last week's podcast, which on some platforms ended up being the interview with uh, the lovely Hannah from Enterprise Ireland again. But I, I wouldn't say I quickly spotted that. But Neil Costigan was on to me about, hey, you got that wrong. And uh, from behind the great Chinese firewall, I managed to get it sorted out. But um, So apologies if you did miss that last week. If you listen on one of the platforms... Uh, like Spotify and a couple of others uh, for a few hours the wrong podcast was up there so go back and have a listen and you'll hear Stephen Farron Lee talking about literature and being Irish and his connections to Irish though occasionally tenuous and how important they are to him it's well worth uh, having listened to what Stephen has to say Um, I'm basically I don't know where I am at this point I got back from China earlier on this week and we have another lovely podcast coming to you today with some fascinating guests again uh, and then I'm off to Dublin actually on Sunday. So this is Sport Love. This is Vecania, as they call it in, in Stockholm. It's the ninth week of the year, and this is when people head off north. So you'll find that, uh, you know, if this is your first year of work over here, you'll go into the office next week if you're working with Swedes, and there'll be nobody to be seeing because they're all either at home or they're up in Kungsbergat or they're up in Orda or they're somewhere like that and they're skiing. So things are starting to get back to normal here. Uh, your quick reminder that this is, of course, a community podcast. It's made for you, uh, by me, with your support. There's a couple of different ways you can support the show. The best way would be to go to patreon.com forward slash man in Stockholm and sign up every month there because if the more people who sign up every month, the more certain I can be that that money's going to come in because sponsors come and go and swish donations come and go but if you sign up for the month then that's great i know you're there and it's got to be brilliant because it just it gives me that little sense of security that we all need that little security blanket that we need to keep the show going uh, if you want to use swish one two three two four two four one six six that's one two three two four two four one six six all donations are gratefully received uh, you can contact me privately, as the wonderful Martin Be- uh, Hessian did at Veerstrom's Pub. Remember that the Six Nations is ongoing. If you want to book a table there, all the major sporting events, there's food from afternoon until night time. And now that the pandemic is officially over, in inverted commas, there's live music back. We'll be hearing more about live music a little bit later in this episode, because I had a great chat with Carl Murphy. Um, if you've been to an Irish pub at all in, in Sweden over the last five years or four years or whatever, you'll have bumped into Carl. Fantastic singer, guitar player great entertainer uh, so he joined me this week to talk about uh, how he got into playing in pubs over here and what the pandemic has been like for him and it's you know one of those conversations i kind of feel was a little bit different because you know i had my time of playing in pubs when i moved over here first and after about six months i packed it in it wasn't really working out so we got into all these details but mostly carl's story is fascinating especially around the pandemic and how he dealt with that and the stress and the pressure i suppose before we move on from the pandemic it's a good idea to remember what it was like and uh, at the end of it there's a couple of dates that he's playing coming up very very soon in stockholm actually that uh, hopefully we might organize another day out and go and see him play as i'm recording this it's just ahead of when we're going to go and see Eva lisi play uh, ice hockey so it'll be too late to buy tickets but hopefully i've seen you all at that event it's going to be on a saturday here in stockholm and we'll hopefully bring you a little bit more about that in the past but let's start this week 
and by the man who has been behind the, the revival, if you want to call it that, of the Irish language here in Stockholm. And the interesting thing is that it's a man from South America, I think, who is uh, raised here in Sweden called Max Ortiz. And I remember seeing his, this Gregory Natsulana or Gregory Natsulana, the Irish speakers in Sweden, uh, Facebook group when he started a few years ago and I noticed his name and Max Ortiz that's that's a bit odd and it turns out uh, as you'll hear from Max himself that he just had a fascinating way that he got into the Irish language so rather me telling you all about it let him tell you all about it let's just leave it to him and let him tell you all about it because it's a fascinating story and a little bit more about the group and how you might be able to get involved so uh, over to you Max <laughs> just start maybe with uh, how it came to be that uh, you got so interested in the Irish language. Sure, yeah. I, I've always been interested in, in languages in general. Uh, always had a, a good ear for it. And uh, also in my teens and onward had a quite interest in, in Ireland, all things Irish, um, history, culture, music. And um, so when I started in uh, 2016, I started learning Irish. Uh, the idea was to just spend a couple of months learning Irish and then maybe move on to the next language and so on. But once I started, I just uh, just fell in love with it. It was just uh, just the, the melody of it, the the spelling, even you know, all the all the the possibilities that opened up. Learning uh, so that that got me hooked and we kept on going. And Max, did you have any sort of relationship to Ireland before then, apart from the culture and that kind of thing? Did you, there was nobody in your family that spoke Irish or anything like that, no? No, nothing like that, no, nothing. And how did you, as how did you go about learning it then? Did you just sort of start Googling it or putting things in Google Translate? No, I, I started uh, uh, maybe the, the odd uh, YouTube search and then you, you'll find some some things there and then I, gradually found more and more resources. I started with the app uh, Duolingo. Mm -hmm. So that was pretty helpful at, at the beginning. And uh, then I kind of moved on, found uh, rangana.com. And I found the, the material called Grail Gigan that, that also sp speeded things up a bit. And then um, traveling to Ireland, also just trying out the, the couple of vocal I'd, I'd learned up to then. And then just... Uh, just amassing the courage to speak to people randomly in shops or whatever, just trying trying to see what what happened. Yeah. And um, when you did that, did you speak to people? You know, was it in Dublin you did that, or did you go to Grailtoch areas uh, to try it out? First time I started, I tested it. I, I did it in in Dublin. I remember one of the reactions. A guy at a store, and uh, I think it was somewhere on, maybe on Tablet Street or something. And mm. I just walked in and I was looking at a couple of shirts, and I said, uh, "How much is this in Irish?" And he looked at me and said, did you just speak Irish to me? <laughs> and, then, and then we, you know, exchanged whatever, whatever few words I had back then. Uh, so that, that, that's what, actually the idea that I wanted to, to learn Irish. Just, and once I got hooked, I just wanted to, to be able to speak to people and just to communicate. Mm. So after that, I've been, I've been to, I've been to Belfast. I've been to uh, Galway, to the Gelta Terrace there. I've been to, um, uh, Maynooth University doing the course and uh, or rather an, uh, an online uh, weekend test yeah. uh, and so on. So just trying it here and there and just seeking out the, uh, what is it, the, the bookstore there, the Conrad um, Nagelge bookstore. Yep. Uh, 
And how is your level of Irish now? You've been just sort of five, six years now studying it. How do you feel your level of Irish is, my friend? Well, currently it's a bit, it's a bit rusty. I have to admit, I'm a bit uh, off, off practice. But um, mm. up until then, I, I'd say I'd manage. I know it's, it's, I know it's in there somewhere. I've done a couple of interviews for Radina Geltachtar. Okay. And this whole, uh, these whole past two years, apparently I'm the, I'm the, I'm the COVID correspondent here. I like the sound of that. And you'd be content to do that, even though it's statistics and it's medicine and those things in, in the Irish language, yeah? Yeah, thankfully, uh, I get a few days to, to prepare a little bit, to just check up on the, the actual, the odd word here and there. And, mm. But other than that, yeah. Yeah. Also, I think one of the things is that I'm not really afraid to do it. Also, I, I don't mind making mistakes and so on. So that, that helps out also just, just breaking the barriers and just keeping mm. it flowing. And what languages did you speak before you started with the Irish? Well, my, my first language was uh, Spanish, but uh, I came to Sweden when I was when I was just a child, so I learned Swedish pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Then after that, just going to regular school, you pick up uh, English, or well, you're forced to learn it, and then you get to choose languages. So I chose French, mm-hmm. and after that, I, in uh, in high school, you get to choose another language. So I thought, well. I speak Spanish, I speak French, so Italian should be an easy way to get good grades. So I learned, learned Italian then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after that, I've, I've tried, I've tried uh, learning uh, Indonesian while, tra- while traveling. I tried to pick up Russian, studied some Arabic. So yeah, it's a, here it's and there. A, it's an amazing mix of languages that you had there. If you were to compare... I mean, going through the, the Swedish school system and learning English or, you know, obviously you learned Swedish and, and, and Spanish as a child. So maybe that was a little bit easier. Uh, was Irish difficult to learn when you compare to Italian or French? I think what's difficult is that one, it takes a while to, uh, to get a hang of the spelling, how that, how that all uh, sits together. It's, yeah. it's pretty, it's not as illogical as I, as I thought it was at first. It, it has a sort of reason to it. But uh, and then of course you, you'll end up meeting some grammatical difficulties that that are in some languages. But if you don't really think about it, uh, that can trip you up a bit. But I would say no. I wouldn't say it's much more difficult than any other language. It's just that you you have very little to hang it on, mm. hang it up against. You, you can't really compare it to many other languages. You'll, you'll have the odd word here and there that that sounds like something else. But other than that, that that's, that's the whole thing. Is that, that's yeah. quite quite fresh like that it's amazing because there's so many of us uh, among the irish community who were sort of born in ireland and went to school there and then come here to sweden and the way we learned it very few people actually retain anything from it you know so i'd imagine you probably speak better irish than many of the people who are listening to this at the moment but you in the course of your learning you decided that you were going to meet other irish speakers to talk to here in sweden could you tell me how you went about doing that uh, yeah i think uh, well, I got in contact with the uh, the Swedish Irish Society, and so there was always the the interest of launching other events and other meetings and happenings. So, you know, you meet meet someone, exchange a few words, uh, drop a few ideas, and then I think it was in twenty seventeen, maybe, that we you know, I got the idea of, of making this group Guelgarisatul, and it's the, the the group on Facebook for 
you know, for Irish speakers or Irish learners or just someone who wants to try to retain their, their school Irish or just giving a, giving a, an airing. Mm. Um, uh, and so, yeah, we organized the first meeting, quite a few people showed up and then we just kept it regular every, every two weeks, every three weeks, something like that. And we tried different formats. We tried just informal, just chatting back and forth, uh, over a pint or over a cup of coffee and, uh, or playing board games, maybe, maybe reading something, um, just, just trying different, different things. I think the, the informal chats have been, been very, very good. Yeah. You can just mix languages as you, as you see fit. Yeah. And that's what sort of worked best for people. And um, when you met other Irish speakers here in Sweden, because I know that th- there are some people who come from the rail to, to, who speak really great Irish. There are other people, you know, I used to speak Irish, but I've sort of lost it all. I think I learned Swedish and that sort of pushed a lot of the Irish out of my head, you know? Uh, so you found that was the best way, just these uh, informal conversations with people. That's how it works best. Yeah. Uh, just, just getting people, just getting them comfortable, getting past that. A lot, a lot of people feel that, I feel uh, limited by the way that it was taught taught in school. Mm. It just was pretty pretty harsh in some places. You know, you were ac- you were you were accused of berlachas if you mixed something or if you said something wrong, and they, you know, that whole weight of shaming and and so on. Yeah. Just getting people comfortable and just it doesn't matter. Make all the mistakes you want. Just just try it. Just keep it keep it going because it's a uh, to me, to me, to me, it's a treasure. So it needs to be needs to be kept alive. I mean, just just so useful and just so I mean, beautiful to me. And do you watch? I mean, obviously, TG Cahar is the major sort of TV resource. You you mentioned Radio Nobel where you were a, a regular contributor yourself, by the sound of things. Uh, do you watch those things? Do you use uh, those kinds of resources to, to sort of keep your own Irish sharp enough? I, I did use TJ Cahar a lot uh, in the beginning, but then I found that uh, some some programs are a lot of like still footage, or so so you don't get uh, the amount of language that you can mm. as across radio, for example, just listening to um, the talk shows or something where where they are chatting all the time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would usually I would usually use Radio Nagel uh, on my way to and back from work, for example, just listening into podcasts or or so where they where they keep the chat going. Hmm. That that to me was useful, and gradually you notice you start learning more and more. And once you don't, if there's a word that you don't understand, then you just look it up at one of the uh, dictionary uh, websites or apps or something. Yeah. And one of the, the things that kind of stung me a few years ago, there was a good friend of mine, Pelle Bloom from Örebro here in Sweden, and we went over to uh, to Northern Ireland. So we were over in Derry and we arranged uh, to, for him to have a lesson in the Irish language by a fluent Irish speaker from Derry. And her accent, Max, said, Jesus, I couldn't understand a word the girl was saying. Did you have any problem with that when you were when you bump into people? No, uh, actually, I started uh, trying to get into the, uh, the, the Northern accent. So that helped a lot, just having to con- consume hours and hours of it. Yeah. So, so yeah, and then well, the last few year, well, the year, the last year and a half, I've been doing the same thing, but with the um, more westerly accent, the Connacht. Yeah. Connacht dialect, just to get. Do you find there's a big difference between the two? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, but 
I think actually the northern one is probably a bit more difficult to understand because a lot of the, the sounds are, are different and they swallow a couple of letters here and there. Oh. Um, it's like Danish people speaking Danish and you go, okay, yeah. where did half those letters go? I can see them yeah. on the page, but you're not saying them. Kind of thing. Right. Um, how does the language make you feel when you use it, Max? Uh, I, I really like it. It feels like it feels like uh, like traveling in time. It's like you look at the spelling and it looks like something from a Tolkien book, like like Elvish or something. Yeah, yeah. So I really like that. It's uh, it's really nice, nice touch. But also just just the opportunity to speak to people. And I just I just really like that, and you, and it helps you helps you get into the what do you call it like the like the cultural soul of a of mm. a country some, somewhat. How do people react? Say when you, you when you go to Maynooth to do that test that you mentioned there, or when you go to somewhere in Galway or that shop in Talbot Street, and you say that you know you're somebody who moved to Sweden, uh, you know you spoke Spanish and Swedish. How do they react to a person like that speaking Irish back to them? Bit of a mind blow, of course. At first, like, well, why are you even doing this? I'm barely doing it, uh, but uh, yeah, just and also a lot of get. Uh, yeah, so sort of a respect, like good on you for doing this. Uh, it, it's uh, to me, it's clear that people really appreciate the language, uh, but the teaching system was flawed, to say the least. I would say, mm. not not inspiring, not not really like touching the heart of the of the learner. It was more like you know, you have to do this or else. <laughs> And does that mean then that, you know, because obviously learning any language, it opens up a new world of, of books and of literature and of TV and that we mentioned. Are there any particular favorites that stick out for you, things that you've discovered since you started to learn Irish? Um, mostly it's, I would say, it's the, like some of the, the Gaeltacht histories uh, and so on, just short short stories that you can pick up in, in books, the short novels more than any of the classic like Peg or any of those. Hmm. Uh, I, I really like the short stories. And also when the, you know, you can, you can get newer books where they do a, a twist of the, of classic stories, but in, it put in a, in a Geltach uh, context. Hmm. Those are the things I like. And also just being able to see that you can have modern type uh, shows or even soap operas, Australia, uh, that is also, to me, that, to me, that's a great thing just mm. that it's been kept kept going. I think it's it's brilliant to see the work that TG Carr do with things like Russ Maroon and that kind of thing. Like it, I got some access to Irish TV again, you know, probably six, seven years ago so that you can have it on in your living room. And I found it passively, the Irish came back. So I still, like, I don't have the, the sort of the, uh, I did, like the, the, the language isn't there for me to speak back to people, but when I hear it, I understand what's being said. And that was the first time, like, I don't watch TV. I only really watch the live sport or news, you know, but when you're watching Russ Naroon or when you're watching some of these older films that they have on about coastal communities, like that it does, it comes back to you surprisingly quickly. Um, what are the plans now for the Irish speakers in Sweden? The group is on Facebook, right? Yeah, the book is on Facebook. We've been on a two year break, I would say. Because yeah. of the pandemic, basically. Yeah. You were so busy with Radio Nogaeltachta, you didn't have time to meet up. Yeah, Did you do any exactly. virtual meetups during that time, Ratten? Uh, no, mostly on uh, through Skype or phone. Mm. So, no, no, and no, we, the group didn't do any any anything at all then. Uh, so it was kind of a forced break, but I think in some ways maybe a needed break, at least for me. But uh, 
the the idea is to to keep the the group going. And the platform is there. The the community is there. Mm-hmm. The idea is to get uh, more people involved into actually organizing the events, so that that it can be more regular and more more often. Uh, I know I I can I can do maybe one once a once a month, once every three weeks. But if there's more of us, we can uh, spread the the workload. And also yeah. offering people more more availability. Maybe some people are not available to go on Tuesdays or Thursdays or whatever. Maybe weekend is better. So maybe someone is out there to to organize something. And it can be all the, sim- the simplest thing: just meet over a cup of coffee. Could be screening a film. Can be you know, just just anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the idea is to get a, get an event going. Uh, maybe I think it's the last week of March at least, if not sooner. Yeah. Uh, so keep an eye on on the Facebook page for that. So you're going to try to put together uh, an event for the Irish speakers in Sweden, meeting somewhere here in Stockholm, like you say, maybe an informal conversation. There might be a short story or something like that. But I think the last one I heard, I think my daughter was going to go to it. I was away at the time and it was going to be just in a coffee house here in Stockholm, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly now, that. For, for, could I ask you, how many people are in the group? Can you remember how many people have, have joined it on Facebook? On Facebook, I think it's... 50 plus at least yeah um, probably a, a good bit more than that uh but you know you get everything from two people showing up to i think uh, most of i think we've been 10 or so 11. That's pretty uh, so yes yeah, so it ranges between i think the most most common figure we have is probably like four or so it used yeah. to be 20 early 2020. Yeah. Um, if people wanted to sort of do a similar thing, because I know uh, there's a lot, there's sort of big Irish communities now that have sprung up in Lulio and in Yavla, and we've had people in Malmö and in Gothenburg and Örebro and Westeros and places for a long time. What would your advice to them be? Can they like, you know, post their events on your uh, Facebook page there? You'd be happy enough for them to do that, would you? Yeah, more than happy. It's, it's, uh, it's Gregory Satulin, so it's all over Sweden. So it's not just, not just in Stockholm. So everyone is, is, more than welcome to post post events or just links to something interesting or just uh, you know can be even uh, if someone has their own uh, you know podcast or some uh, an art exhibition or something mm. that has some some connection to the Irish language or or Gaeltacht history or whatever uh, more more than welcome it's just, the more open the better I think. Brilliant. And uh, how do you see, I mean, I hate to use the word market for this kind of thing. How many people do you reckon that you might be able to sort of reach in Sweden with that? Just 50 members of the group. How many Irish speakers would you sort of estimate that there are at the moment in the country? Oh, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm sure a lot of new people have showed up, uh, have moved yeah. to Sweden and so on. Maybe some have moved back. But uh, there's at any, at any given time in Stockholm, I would say there's at least 30 people that, that manage the language fairly yeah. well enough to speak. And uh, with the learners, I mean, there's probably even more. Yeah. Have you already uh, had any contact with, I know there's a Department of Irish Studies at Uppsala University. Have you been in touch with them at all? Uh, I, I was early on uh, with the, but it was mostly, I think, uh, and, and we met uh, once or twice. I've met them and had, uh, that's actually how, that's actually the, the first uh, few events that I went to was in Uppsala, two, two of them, uh, before starting here in Stockholm. Mm. Uh, and uh, I've also met the, um, I don't know if he works with them any longer, but the, the teacher there, 
Sharon. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but I've, this past year or so, I haven't kept tabs on who's uh, who's heading things in the, in the language department there. Yeah. You're just uh, plowing your own furrow and going ahead by yourself. Uh, Max Ortiz, it's a brilliant idea. And I have to say, it's uh, amazing to have a, a Swedish slash South American man like yourself coming in and uh, giving us that push maybe that we need to get back to using the Irish language here in Stockholm. And as Max says, towards the end of March, the next uh, meeting will ha- hopefully happen somewhere here in Stockholm. Get involved if you can, especially if you speak Irish. I know we have plenty of people from the Grailthorst areas who listen to this. Get involved there. Help out the likes of me. They've forgotten all these things. They're still using the Irish to peg taught them back in school. Max, good morning. Good morning, Philip. Detective Moran, you're Irish, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, so you speak Gaelic then, yeah? Well, yeah. Well, we all speak Irish in Ireland. Yeah. Mm. We have to learn it from the age of five to like eighteen. It's a very big, important part of our culture. Very mm. keen to keep those traditions alive yeah. and well. Very proud people. Yeah, the Irish, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got a suspect in there from Connemara, right? Who only speaks Gaelic, yeah? So I want you to leave this interrogation. Oh, uh, well. I, uh, here you go, that was the extremely funny trio that are foil, arms and hog on the subject of speaking Irish. A little taste of one of their sketches there and you'll find their sketches on Facebook and you'll find them on YouTube and sometimes you see them live. They haven't visited Sweden yet but uh, it'll be lovely to do so. Foil, arms and hog is the name of those boys and uh, you'll find them. I think, I can't remember what the, uh, what the actual sketch is called hold on now and we look it up when irish people can't speak irish is the name of it and you'll find it on facebook and on youtube but it's really well worth it watched because the rest of it is very funny indeed um yeah so on the subject of entertainment it's um it's weird when you come back from china right and of course sweden as we all know hasn't had that much of a lockdown at all but over it was daft over in china in a way because everybody was wearing ppe and face masks and visors and testing every day and closed loop and bubble and that kind of thing and then you get off the plane in stockholm it's like nothing ever happened and i think most of europe is now into that thing that the pandemic is over and we're sort of looking forward to doing the things that we haven't been able to do for the last couple of years, right? So, uh, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of live music. We have been able as a community to go and visit Veerstrom's pub and sit down there and have a chat with Martin and watch a match and maybe see a session in the basement with Brian Burns and a few of the boys or, or a blues band down there or a trad session. They're all up and running again now. And I think Martin's actually run a quiz there in Veerstrom's as well. But... um. All that changed and it had a huge effect on certain people. I know it had a huge effect on Martin and the business down there at Veerstones, but it also had a huge effect on the dozens of musicians who rely on the Irish pubs all over Sweden for uh, their way of making a living. So, you know, that was one of those things I wanted to talk to somebody about. And the man I settled on was Carl Murphy. Now, Carl's been over here for a few years and as I say, he's just a great entertainer. And we had a conversation about entertaining and music and all the things that go with it um, and how the whole thing has affected him. And it was one of those things that, you know, you just know certain people, you know, that when you ask them a question, you can just wind them up and let them off. And both Carl and I are like that. And uh, it was just, it was fantastic for him to talk to him. But he also had great insight, which he's going to share with you here now on the Irish in Sweden podcast. Here he is, singer, entertainer, all round good egg. This is Carl Moore. With how on earth you winded up playing music in pubs in Sweden? Yeah, I suppose to say it's a good question, isn't it? It's something I ask myself on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I had um, I had a tough few years in Ireland, and uh, I was kind of encouraged to get out of the gaff for a few years, and uh, to get out of the gaff for a while. 
and I uh, thought it was the best thing for myself as well. So uh, I um, I went off to Cyprus and I got a job playing on a bar in Ayanapa of all places. And if anyone has ever been to, I'd say most, anyone who's listening to this who knows a bit about Swedish people knows that Swedish people absolutely love Ayanapa when they're, when they're, when they're 18 to 20 or whatever age group. So I was over there um, playing and uh, every night in Paddy's Bar over there, which is a well-known spot. And I uh, met uh, the, 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 the story that's been told a thousand, a million times. I um, I met a lovely Swedish girl and got got Vikinged, if you like. Got up no with, uh, way. Yeah, the usual story. I met a lovely Swedish girl. She asked me to come to Stockholm. I said, wherever you want, I'm going, no problem. Uh, no, no, no further questions. I have nothing to ask. Let's go. And off I went with her. But I think I was probably um, the the most recent in a long line of like willing kidnapped victims, willing Irish kidnapped victims by the Vikings, you know? Yeah, so. fellas, fellas armed with guitars as well. You're not the first fellow with a guitar who's told me that particular story. I'm and indeed, sure I'm not. They're, they're going to be sort of a core of the concept of this podcast for the next fucking 20 years telling these stories, you know? But when you came over here, did you know anybody, Carl? Did you have a gig to go to? Not a soul. I didn't know anybody. I just, uh, I, 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 if, my ex was very pretty. That's all I can say. <laughs> and, uh, you know yourself. You get yourself in all sorts of trouble for love. But I, I came over here and I played in the street. Actually, my first gig was playing in the street here. In um, sorry, my dog is a big noisy beast. Get out away, Frank. But um, yeah, I came over here in the winter and it was bloody December, but it was unseasonably mild. It was like seven or eight degrees until uh, all night almost. So I was out on the street playing music till eleven or twelve at night on Drottninggatan here, which is like the central thoroughfare, and. Uh, I was out there playing all evening and, and I made a good few quid and I kind of was able I was able to stay in Sweden because of that. And then I got my first gig in the Liffey, the Gamlet Stand, uh, not long after I arrived. And then just uh, things just snowballed from there. And it's been an easy life. So things continued on and here I am. I love that. It's been an easy life. And uh, having, like, I did my share of playing in the pubs in this country when I got over here as well. And it's anything but an easy life in terms of, you know, uh, all sorts of drunken people ask you to play songs, some of which you may be playing at the time that they ask you, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 That's a common one. When you play Wonderwall, it's like I played it five minutes ago, mate. You asked me, you were sitting right there. <laughs> I was playing in the Dubliner in Gothenburg one night. Ian Maloney will be listening to this and pulling yeah. what little hair he has left out. And a fella asked me, he came up to the stage and asked me to play Whiskey in the Jar while I was playing it, right? I just yeah. hadn't got to the chorus at that point. And it was yeah, like, would I... you just fucking wait 30 seconds, lad? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Disgraceful behaviour. But since then, I mean, we'll get on to the pandemic and what that's done to music in the, in, in the time being. Have you played only in Stockholm, oh, Carl? Have you travelled around over here? I used to, I used to do all the travelling. Frank, no, my dog is a is beast. Sorry, here he is. I'll give you a look at him since since you're you'll undoubtedly hear him. Frank, he, he's a very handsome dog. I mean, I don't know. I, th- I thought he was trying to sing in harmony with you there as you were telling me these he's, stories. You know? He's always got something to say. So sorry if you can hear him in the background. No bother. <laughs> um, but no, I, I played them. Um, I did the circuit for a while. I played all over. I I, I did the whole. Uh, the Scandinavia job and I, I played, you know, did all the pubs and, and slept in all the incredibly suspicious and dodgy accommodation. Some of the rooms are like something that was saw, you know what I mean? Sle- in. Sleeping in a five-star wardrobe, you mean? Oh, look, I'm like, should I chain myself to the radiator in here or will someone else come later on and chain me to the radiator? It's like, the, <laughs> that's my only question about the accommodation, you know what I mean? So, will I saw my own leg off to get out of here in the morning or will there be someone to do that for me? I, I, was in, I, I was in a place, I won't mention the name of there because they're lovely people all together, but uh, a friend of mine who was there playing with me described it as being akin to a Turkish prison, the place we stayed in. I sort of, <laughs> you know, I mean. It, that's, that's, it, that sounds all right, actually. <laughs> it, was the war, it was the warmest puddle I ever slept in. Yeah. <laughs> 
I remember one night as well, I slept downstairs. I remember I sleeping downstairs, like, geez, it's so loud here. Like, it's unbelievable. And then I look up and I read something, someone, something said to come through the ceiling. And I looked up and I realized I could see the DJ's feet. I was under the stage. <laughs> <laughs> the DJ spilled his pint and it was starting to come through onto my bed underneath in the yeah so that's that's the glamour and sexiness of the music industry on full display there and for some reason then you stopped on that particular touring <laughs> touring circuit and concentrated your efforts on Stockholm is that right it was I don't think it was long after that where I said you know what I've, I've had enough of this now I, I, I it, it does wear you down and some people um have great patience for it and they can do it for years and I admire them completely I've nothing but respect for them but I, I just can't. I need my routines. I need to kind of, I, I love a bit of sport and, and, and staying he- healthy and all. And it's not conducive to like good relationships or a healthy lifestyle if you're on the road for two, three weeks of the, of the month. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah so that was the end of that. The, the, the thing is then, Carl, because when you come over and you do that, right, it's an easy life to get into. You get to know everybody. They're, like, let's face it, the conditions may not be brilliant, but there's some brilliant, brilliant people working in the Irish pubs. You meet some great people out on the yeah. road and that. And, you know, you don't earn a vast amount of money, but you kind of earn enough money and you get fed your dinner when you go into yeah. these places. You might get a drink out of it if you're lucky, if you don't play Wonderwall, because the fucking yeah. bar staff tend to hate it. But how, yeah. how did you then go from saying, look, I'm just going to play and stop? Because I assume you can't make enough to make sort of a month's wages by playing you know six or eight nights in Stockholm so did you find yourself another job then or what no um what I did was I actually worked as a sound engineer for Universal Music here and a cool. consultant for them yeah so I helped them out with anything that's an acoustic gig if you like anything they, they've classified as an acoustic gig they kind of get on the phone to me and they'll ask me like what do we need for this or how do we make this act an acoustic act and they send me the there's not technical people at the label anymore they don't have people like that in the office mm-hmm. so I'm basically the closest thing they have and they'll call me anything that's an acoustic gig I'm I'm the the guy they call so I had that going and that was a few jobs a month um just dealing with could be anyone you know what I mean it could be it was Billie Eilish around that time she was in before she really hit the big time um it's kind of people on the way up they play in the kitchen there at Universal Music yeah so I do all the in-house gigs they have in there as well so I do all their in-house music so I had that job and that got me going and kept me going but other than that then I just really focused on kind of just going to places in Stockholm and saying look I'm trying to move all my business here to Stockholm it was it's less money because you get paid, as you said, like it's not bad money you get to travel. Some of the gigs like Denmark and such, you get paid well for, and it's it's worth your time if you can if you can do it and not lose your lose your shit. But um, sorry, I'm allowed to swear. That's yeah, no, I've been doing it already. I just realised oh, I've been at it, so I won't cut it out either. I'm too lazy. <laughs> Very good. Look, it is what it's meant to be. Irish people, <laughs> after all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they probably but, um, think it wasn't authentic if there wasn't a little bit of swearing between you and me. Exactly, here, you know? little the odd feck here and there on doing the car, but um, the Swedes love a bit of swearing anyway. I noticed that when I came over here. They're not shy about it at all. It's, it's just on the radio and the Ica, and you're just hearing the F word over and over again. You're thinking, all right, cool. Yeah, I, <laughs> I can do it there. Yeah. Um, t- tell me, Carl, one of these questions I have to ask because one of I remember talking years ago to John Higgins. John is this wonderful man from Cork. I think he lives in Spain now. He had Blackwater Music and he was the man who used to book all the gigs, right? And I remember when I was coming over and he says, you're going to have to learn a few different songs. And I thought, okay, what would they be? And thinking, you know, there could be some, you know, a Christy Moore song, maybe a Dubliner song that was uh, particularly popular. It turned out to be Country Roads by John Denver and a selection of Creedence Clearwater Revival tunes. Um, How much do you hate those two acts by now? Yeah, I tell you, I never, you know something, I never played Country Roads in my life until quite recently. Uh, I played it like for the first time, like not that long ago, and I played it about two or three times since. And everyone had a great laugh singing it. So I don't like, I, I, I kind of, I've always kind of been the one to say, no, nah, I don't play that and I'll do my own thing. And I played the Irish stuff and I kind of leaned into that. The more, the more I spent out of Ireland, mm. this is quite topical. The more time I spent outside of Ireland, the more Irish I became. 
And I think that that's a common thing for Irish people to go abroad. But I became, I wasn't into Irish music. I, I learned some Irish tunes and I was with a lot of people who were into that and who did play that in Ireland. But in Ireland, I was playing rock music. But once I came to Sweden, I really started getting into the Irish stuff. And now I'm, I could do a whole gig of just Irish music now quite regularly. And it's mm-hmm. kind of my thing and I enjoy it. But um, I did, I stayed away from all the Credence and, and I knew a couple of Credence songs and all that, that kind of Americana, but it wasn't really my thing. So I was lucky. I stayed out. I, I kind of, I knew I can't make it torture for myself. So I always kind of said no to stuff if I didn't want to play it. You know what I mean? That's yeah. the whole point of our job. The beauty of it is we can do what we want kind of. So uh, there's so many good songs. You don't have to play the good songs to wreck your buzz. Mm. That's the thing that I remember being, I think I was in a pub in Sunsfall many years ago and I was playing some Credence song and everybody was loving it. And I was going kind of, what's the point? Because I was... The, a little bit the opposite, right? Because I always had this great love of, of in particular, Irish folk music, right? When I came yeah. back from China there recently, there was two vinyl albums. One was Planksy, the other was Christy Moore. And I was listening mm. to Natives by Christy Moore last night. It's just, you know, oh. now that's not an Irish song as such, you know, but that kind of thing. What When you learned more, or when you discovered, if you like, Irish music, when you moved away from home, which which songs, which artists have you sort of landed in that you went, hang on a second, I get that now. Living away from yeah. home has made me get that. Yeah, big time. Like someone like Luke Kelly and all, like I really got into that one. But I remember like shedding a tear listening to this stuff, like years, you know, sitting in Stockholm, mm-hmm. having an old tear listening to this stuff at a point or two. The Rocky Road to Dublin is my favourite tune to play, full stop, Paddy Riley's version, more or less. It's sort of Paddy Riley's version. Um, So there is, there's a few things that have kind of clicked at me and landed with me since I've left Ireland, all right. And Luke Kelly, definitely one of those. Uh, the Wolf Tones, which one? Um, uh, About going to America. What's oh, that the streets one? of New York. The streets of New York. I actually had to hold back tears a couple of times singing that when I first learned it because it's something. There's just something beautifully emotional about Irish music and simple about it and very straightforward. They they kind of say what they mean and it's it's uh it's not exactly like doused in metaphor or anything. It's quite straight up. So you every now and again something will hit you by surprise. You know what I mean? And I often find that when I'm playing, so I'll sing something and hit me by surprise that will kind of affect me. Yeah, well, in fairness, now the Wolf Tones were never really known for their subtlety. And the great thing about that song, The Streets of New York, is especially when you live abroad, you just fucking get it. We all know, and in particular from the story you've told me there, you know, we know what it's like to rock up in a foreign city with absolutely nothing, no gig, no nothing. And you go, yeah. okay, you know, it's uh, what was it? I can't remember the exact line that, you know, but I started to learn about uh, digging, you know, all this sort of street work and the kind of things that you do. So it's very easy for people like ourselves to be able to identify with that. Is there anything that surprised you and what you discovered? And and by that, I mean that, you know, when you, I have two kids, right? And when you have kids, music stops. There's no new music after the day your children are born, right? There's only the stuff you liked up to that point. But of course, there was bands like The Frames, uh, Damien Rice, going hand in hand with Mary Black and Christy Moore and Sharon Shannon, all these great Irish artists. Did anything sort of spring up that surprised you about Irish music? But hang, hang on a second. I didn't really think that was that good until now. Yeah, big time. Like the, the definitely the older stuff. And, and once I started playing some of the stuff, because... Some of the playing on the old stuff is is rough, like you know what I mean. It's it's um it's very rough and ready. So you, it's it you can be quite easy to dismiss that if you're not really like into the Irish music and you're not really uh, sitting there kind of giving it the attention that it needs to realize the kind of the beauty and the and the in the in the subtlety of the kind of the emotion and the and the and the playing and stuff like that. So if you don't really if you're not really focused on that, as I said, stuff kind of sneaks up on you. Mm. And um. I definitely noticed that with the older stuff that, that 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 I did kind of have a whole new way of looking at it, and then new Irish artists as well. I'm always kind of I've always been a, like I've always liked people like Hosier and lads like this. You know what I mean? New, newer newer acts, newer Irish acts. But I'm more inclined to keep an eye on that sort sort of thing now. You know what I mean? And to see who's coming up and what's going on. But um, yeah, just the older stuff more than anything is what surprised me because I actually gave it the chance. And once I gave it the chance, and even playing it myself and listening and and kind of like gave me a whole 
new perspective on all of it big time because all of a sudden then stuff that kind of you just heard as some lad with a guitar who a lot of the Irish and old Irish folk singers like they weren't good singers or they weren't great singers traditionally you know what I mean mm. so it is easy if you're if you're really like a young musician and you know it's it's it, everyone's pretentious when you're learning you know it's just it is what it is so you're pretentious until you know better mm. until you learn until you learn enough you're pretentious you know what I mean so right. anyone who's pretentious they just haven't learned enough it's kind of my philosophy on it so you have to forgive them forgive them that it's part of the process I think we, we all know, we all know everything until we realize we know nothing, you know. But yeah, it just this, struck me there. There yeah. was a th- there's a thing you were mentioning there about subtlety, right? And there's a Planksty song, and this is a, like when I gave up playing music, right? I, I had no problem admitting that I was depressed at that time. I thought, fuck, I've been six months in Sweden, everything's going to shit. Playing Ooh. bars, not making any money, and I was together with a band, great band of guys, and that kind of thing. It wasn't their fault, but it was like we were in Oslo one night after playing a pub called the Kilkenny, which doesn't exist anymore. And the lad who was singing with the band was English, right? And this is a long story, but it's worth it. Get there in a second and he played me a song that night called matty groves it was an english folk song right and yeah. it, it, it like that song matty groves is actually their version of a planksty song called the little musgrave i don't know if you know the song all right. At all, right? i don't know it no but it's basically an English folk song. And like all these folk tunes, they start out as one thing, but they're handed down. And I, as a person from Dublin, might give it to somebody in Cork and they don't remember all the lyrics because we never write anything down. And they put a different chord in there and they put a different... Mm. And the stories are pretty much the same. Like the story ends up in the same place, which with all good folk songs, they end in death, right? But yeah. it's how you get there, right? But when you listen to Planksty's version of that song, there's a point where somebody dies in the song and Liam O'Flynn just takes off on the whistle. And I swear to God, man, like this, I can feel the t- Tears on the back of his throat now yeah, telling you this. Yeah. And that's the subtlety I think that you're getting at. That you, you know, mm. it doesn't matter how skilled or how talented it is. What Martin Hayes, the great fiddle player, talks about the emotion in his playing. Without there being emotion, there's nothing. So yeah. how do you and getting back to you to what you do, how do you square that with standing up, say, in the Liffey or in Veerstrums or in the Dubliner here in Stockholm on a Friday night? Do you feel that you know? this is like, you know, perils before swine here. These people don't get this. Or are you doing it for yourself because you want to communicate these things? To be honest, I originally thought like that a little bit. Uh, and it took me a while to realize even that I was thinking that way, that like it's kind of wasted on people a bit because they're drinking. But the more I have leaned into the Irish thing, and that includes now big time, I explain what the songs are about before I sing them. Hmm. And that makes a huge difference to the Swedes. They really get into it. I've done, I've got through whole gigs. I, Sometimes I try to say I'll play it, stick to the Irish tunes tonight and I abandon that after a few songs because it's not the right room. It depends on the room because you don't know who you're going to get. These people, as I always tell people who are starting out and doing this, like these people aren't buying tickets to see you. So you have to be prepared for all, for anything and everything. And um, the people don't, they're not coming to, like a, a large portion of the crowd are just there to be in an Irish pub and your job is to kind of fill out that atmosphere. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, but yeah, there there is... Um, there is definitely a thing that I thought like, God, that this is wasted on people or something a little bit at first. But once I started kind of giving them, giving them uh, what we all need, like kind of explain what the song is about. And then you're singing it and people are kind of into it. They can hear the kind of, they're, they're following the lyrics better. They're really kind of more invested in the song song when you're singing it. So I've got through whole nights now where people got really into the gig. And it was like my best gigs is just sticking to the Irish stuff and telling the stories before each song so that they kind of get the humor. And, it's, you know, there's, there's a bit of humor and everything. Like I always tell people, my, my favorite song, one of my favorite songs to sing is uh, Pair of Brown Eyes by Shane McGowan. Yeah. And I always tell people, you know, the, I always tell the Swedes, like all Irish music is about one of three subjects. It's about war, misery, war and misery, drinking pints, or one lovely girl in particular. It's about one of those kind of three subjects. And uh, that particular one is the trifecta. It hits all three. Like it's all verse. right there, isn't it? <laughs> there's a verse for each one. It's perfect. There's war and misery. There's a lovely girl, and there's getting drunk and drinking pints and being miserable. 
So, yeah. Did you get that formula directly from Shane McGowan? Because that sounds exactly <laughs> like something Shane would say. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good to hear. But yeah, it, I did get it directly from Shane McGowan, but just listening to the music, not, uh, not from his... Uh, from his mouth, if you like. An amazing fucking songwriter. You think of songs like Thousands Are Sailing and that kind of thing and just the emotions. That, and throughout their career as well, because they went from being, you know, this sort of punk folk band and then Fairy Tale New York and all that. Jesus could talk about it forever. But one mm. of the other things, Carl, that I wanted to bring up with you was I noticed from, you know, we're in touch a lot, not in touch a lot, but we're aware of what each other does because of social media. You're on Facebook and yeah. on Instagram. And of course, at the start of the pandemic, despite there being no lockdown in Sweden and that kind of thing, gigs basically, your way of making a living basically dried up fairly sharpish. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a very broad question, but how has that been for you? Okay, now this is what, I said, as I said to you, this is like, don't mention the war stuff. Uh, the people are asking me to shut up about this subject for so long that it's, it's funny being asked to talk about it. Um, You're going to go full Joe Rogan on me now, oh, aren't you? I'm about to, yeah, I'm about to get your band <laughs> off every platform. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it, 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 it was gradual because it wasn't the same kind of abrupt stop that ever had suffered because they were just told, stay in your gaff, don't go outside, that's it. No answer them back, you know, like we were told here, like, try and be careful, you know, and then just get along with it. And, and we did. And I remember doing the gig in like March of 2019, wasn't it? And um, and the, all the shit was going on in Italy, you know what I mean? It was really going down there and things looked really bad in that, in that town in Italy. The things were, it, it really hit them hard. And that was what was being like, you know, broadcast to the world big time. And we were all justifiably kind of confused and afraid. I remember coming home from the gig and like double showering and taking all my clothes and putting them in the corner. And, you know, and seeing, oh, yeah, look, not like and I'm far from like paranoid. I'm I'm a wrestler. I'm out there wrestling lads at all times like yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I was still training and everything. But still, there was this kind of like a little bit of paranoia that like Jesus that kind of seeped in. So there was that aspect where you're kind of coming home from the pub and you can see, I remember seeing everyone's like sweat and spit in the air in March when I was up on stage in a, in a pub in Stockholm here, you know, mm-hmm. and it was a bit humid in there. It was kind of a warm night or whatever. And um, I remember thinking, oh God, like who, who's going to be dead in two months? <laughs> you know, thankfully it didn't go that way. But um, yeah, because we were, as I said, we were all justifiably afraid then. But uh, it then it started to kind of, uh, it started to affect like the pubs started to get much much less people in and then they started to say right we can only pay you like 50 percent now it's the way it is you know and and it was either just accept that or or don't you know what i mean it was it, it was what it was and then um, basically for a while then it was kind of 50 percent of 50 percent because there was half as many gigs if you were lucky and then there was half to pay for those gigs so it really hit us hard it really hit us hard and there was no help there was no talk of help then mm. you know financial help or anything like that we were told to join our casa and we were told that if we pay Alcasa for six months or three months or whatever it is, they shorten the period for to three or four months or whatever, then maybe they'd help us. But we have to register as unemployed and all this sort of thing. And I actually had a fundamental problem with registering as unemployed because I wasn't unemployed. I was being told by the state, you're not allowed to work. You've got a perfectly like legitimate company. You pay all your taxes, do all this, but I'm not allowing you to work. And there was no recognition of that from a state level. They basically ignored that they were doing that. They refused to even admit they were telling people not to work, mm. even though it did come to the point where the state told us directly at one point, I think it was what, November 2019. Yeah, they told us like, you're not to work. That's it now. No more events, no more gigs, no more shows. Mm. And, and, and there was nothing, point, sorry, Carla, just to interrupt. There was nothing yeah. available to you then as somebody who owns their own company and, and does this kind of thing. There was no sort of, okay, now you're permitted is the Swedish word. So you're furloughed is, is the word in English. There was none of that available to you, no? There was furlough staff who were like the companies could furlough their staff, as I understand it. So say the people behind the bar could be furloughed and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But because I was I'm I'm my own, I'm a small business owner. I was just basically left completely in the lurch at first. And so was everyone else. We were just yeah. left kind of 
completely like all, uh, within a month all our work dried up and the government there was no answers i called the unemployment people and they said yeah but you have to register as unemployed and then i said but i'm not unemployed and they said well i suppose that's correct so i said like i'd have to lie on your form almost there was a few kind of catch-22 situations where mm. i'd almost have to lie on the form to say like to get the help even though they know that they're telling me to lie on the form almost and that's very mm. unswedish you know what i mean so 100%. there was a lot of yeah there was a lot of confused kind of like oh, maybe this is not so good. You should call this person and call this agency. So I rang every bloody agency in Sweden and explained my situation. And they said, oh, well, this is obviously terrible. You're falling through the cracks, but we're not sure there's a whole lot we can do or you have to call this. And it was just kind of being put off to the next person, the next person. I actually ended up talking to politicians here. That's how bad it got. I actually ended up talking Jesus. to people. I know. Yeah, yeah. I've never in my life had to, to have a direct conversation with a politician. But actually, in fairness, people from Stockholm city council reached out to me and spoke to me about this issue. Like you're, you're like you're doing now almost like, and, and took it very seriously. There was, um, the, there was, uh, by the time I kind of got to people who were going to read out a letter from mine in parliament, help was kind of on the way by then. So that never came about, but I was on the kind of the road to doing that. Mm. But uh, yeah, but the, the whole thing of being told like you're, you, you'd have to register as unemployed, even though you're not. And I kind of never registered as unemployed in this country. And I didn't want to do that because yeah. I wasn't unemployed. You know what I mean? That kind of just, Maybe that's like cute. Maybe that's a bit of pride or whatever. But I just didn't feel like that was the move. But that's the thing, I suppose. I mean, in a way, you're told. I go back to a friend of mine who was a swimmer and he had a Swedish coach, and I was moving over here. And his coach says, "I'll tell Phil one thing: that they have a system in Sweden, and if you go with it, you'll be fine. But if you go against it, they'll kill you like a dog in the street." Mm. And your man laughed. He went, "No, no, like a dog in the fucking street." You know, mm. and I've told plenty of people that story. So you were actually trying to do the right thing because, like you said, you weren't unemployed. You were told that you weren't allowed to work. So you weren't going for something that you felt that you weren't. You were trying to do the right thing the whole way along. And um, can I ask you, Carl, what did that do to you mentally? Did it like, you know, it's very difficult. We talk about mental health and being kind and looking after one another and that kind of thing. How did you feel through this time? Because, you know, wandering around a place with no work and no money is a pain in the arse. Mate, I, I tell you one thing. You, I've always said this as well. You can take money out of a situation and you'll find a way to make money. You'll find a way to survive always, as uh, as people always do. We're all 30, you know, even the most kind of comfortable person will find get out there and, and if they have to, they'll figure out a way to, to make things work, you know. Mm. But taking a man's purpose away is a whole other thing. And I got that experience of like, I always felt like when I'm up on stage and I'm singing, I was fulfilling a purpose, whatever, whatever that means, you know. Like I, I, I always kind of felt like I was swimming with the stream of life. You know what mm. I mean? I never... I always felt it was the right thing and natural. Even when I was dragging myself to bloody the very north of Norway to do a gig and it was three trains and two buses and it was all this sort of madness. I still felt like even the most difficult day when I'm exhausted and I'm sitting in a bloody airport trying to get home or, you know, even the worst of the, the, the job, I still felt like I was fulfilling some sort of purpose that I'd done. I'm here doing the thing. I remember opening my mouth at four or five years old and singing and all the adults told me, oh, you can sing. This is great. You can sing. So I've been told kind of, with, with no amb, 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 ambiguousness whatsoever, ambiguity or whatever you say, ambiguousness whatsoever, does, that I, to sing is kind of my purpose here. Yeah. And, and then that was taken away. And it, it, you never think that that could happen. You know what I mean? You just never imagine a situation where all, all the pubs are going to close and music is the only thing that's banned, basically. You know, it was like mm. almost, there wasn't a whole lot that was banned in Sweden, but live music was. And to lose your purpose like that was completely, that was very difficult. It was, it was hard to keep going. I remember I was just kind of staying in. I spent two weeks in bed at one point at the start of the pandemic because I was just exhausted by... Musicians are kind of empathetic. Uh, the music, music is empathy. You know what I mean? It really is. Music is how we how we empathize with each other in a really uh, like fundamental way. And it's how we express our emotions to other people in a way that they understand or they can interpret to them, themselves to, for their own emotions. And um, we were very empathetic people. So 
I think that everyone's fear and everyone's kind of um, panic was very tiring for me. Hmm. Like I really was fucking exhausted by that aspect of it. So I you, spent two you sort of you absorbed all because you were saying about you know having two showers when you came home and you know setting yeah. fire to your clothes and that kind of. Yeah. So you kind of tend to absorb these things. You know everybody else's fear, everybody else's paranoia, yeah. everything yeah. else that's out there. That's sort of you know you suck it up like a sponge kind of thing, and that led to you spending two weeks in bed basically. Yeah, look, I think any any good musician will tell you tell you, tell you they feel the same thing. Really, I, I, I've spoken to plenty. I've got plenty of musician mates who are really, really amazing, amazing musicians and at the top top of the game and stuff. And they all agree to me completely. It's a, it's a thing. You have to go into a room and read the room, and and you have to give them your energy and you get the energy back off them. And that's all just an exercise in empathy. You know, it really is. And and whether it's them empathizing with the songs, as I said, or me feeling what the crowd, what the room feels and saying, no, tonight's not the night for the Irish music. I'd better play Save Tonight and bring it back. You know, like it's all about feeling what the people feel and feeling the room and to learn the songs and to even to be able to perform them. You have to empathize with the, with the song and the original feeling of the song or at least some sort of new interpretation of it. So that was, yeah, that was, that was a, that's definitely a, a really difficult aspect because all good musicians, I think that, that, or anyone, all musicians who are just out there working have like, they're very empath, empath, empathic. And I think that they find it very difficult. I think everyone was the same, that it was just everyone's fear, all that shit, you just absorb all that up. And it's just, it take, it took a lot out of me now for a few weeks and a few months even. I'm still, I'm still realizing like I'm still getting back to being myself now. You know what I mean? Mm. That was, actually was my, that was actually my next question, Carl, was that now, and you know, I'm doing the inverted commas here, that things are back to normal now, right? Yeah. So I would assume you're back out, the bookings are starting to roll in a little bit. But yeah. can you put this last two years behind you? Because... The, like, I mean, I would imagine that it's very fair. I would think it's very fair for you to feel frustrated and to feel abandoned and to feel let down by the system, by the situation. That kind of thing. Can you just put that behind you now and go, look, at fuck it, it's over, we move on? Or do you still feel that, you know, fuck, I was a bit hard done by there? Uh, look, to be honest, I don't really feel hard done by at this point. Um, uh, uh, first of all, I'd be resilient enough. I've, I've spent years kind of traveling around and playing on the street and, you know, sleeping under bloody DJs, spilling pints on me. And, you know, so I'm, I'm resilient enough. Like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be conscious of, of, of feeling sorry for myself about that. And I will say this, and it's important to say this. Once uh, about a year went by, the Swedes did come and help me financially. Hmm. So I was reimbursed, reimbursed for all the gigs I missed, basically, up to a certain point. So yeah. I was basically kind of Boo Verkut, who are the housing authority here, launched a payment where they they reimbursed everyone who was a single, uh, like a, a, a sole trader, a mm. single owner, like a company, single person company. And uh, they launched a payment scheme where they paid like us back, basically a large portion of our lost our earnings. Now, it took them a year and I was left holding me. Yeah, you know, for <laughs> a, about about a year. Um, but uh, after the year, like I knew the Swedes will sort me out. I kind of had a feel. I kind of knew like the Swedes will sort me out. Like I'm not just going to be left completely in the lurch here. And um, that first Consonards Namden payment, I didn't get that. And I was furious about that. I was really pissed off. They gave it to Jill Johnson and she had to give it back. And there was a big controversy. And I was, I was, I had a lot to say about the Swedish government at that That's point. That's basically like was, the, the arts council, isn't it? Yeah. Like it was, yeah, exactly. Consonards Namden is basically the arts council. And I think they botched that first payment. They gave it to a lot of people who like, they probably should have said, even though you're entitled to this, maybe we shouldn't give it to you because it's all going to be made public and it's going to be an out, you know, mm. there's going to be outrage. Like I know Jill Johnson released a new brand of wine a couple of weeks after she got that payment. It doesn't <laughs> look good. You know what I mean? And it's like, everything is so transparent in Sweden. You can probably find out how many Mercedes she owns and exactly what her house in Spain is worth. And you know what I mean? So yeah. there's just, that sort of thing is like, 
it's a bit it's a bit like a traditional Irish politic politics, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> she got the pothole a, filled in outside our driveway, it, kind of thing. It's a, yeah, like it's a bit that was a bit that was a bit like Jesus, I'm back in Ireland all of a sudden, am I? You know what I mean? Like the, the lads, jobs for the boys, like you know, she's up at the guy club, so she got the payment, but I don't. <laughs> I mean, I've so. never seen her kick football for the Stockholm Dales yet. <laughs> exactly, you know. So that but that did that 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 pissed me off and it took then uh, the second round of payment I did get included and so did a lot of other people who applied. I know like other musicians playing the pubs, people who, de- people who genuinely needed that money mm. because, you know, I, I can't survive two, three months without working. Like who can, you know, yeah. like even if you have savings, they were long gone at that point. Um, so especially, you know, as we go, the months wear on in the pandemic. Mm. But as I said, I will say this for the Swedes, they, they, the word emergency means nothing to them. They, they were very slow to act. But once they did, uh, they did roll out a big scheme for payments and it's still going. And basically it pays me for any of the kind of, well, up to a certain amount, it pays me for my lost earnings. And that certain amount is is enough to live in Stockholm. You know what I mean? So enough to me to continue to have the kind of the luxurious life that I've become accustomed to here. Exactly. People won't be able to see it on the podcast now, but there's an awful lot of books there on uh, on the back of your Zoom there that I can see. So I mean, this like, if in doubt, say, I'm sure there's first editions of Ulysses and the whole lot on those shelves, is there? Just in, just in case the podcast was filmed, I thought I'd break it, you know, I'd do it in front of me bookshelf. Yeah, yeah. There's there you go. It's make, you look very intelligent, Carl. I haven't seen you look this intelligent in years. You know? Thanks very much. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an all styrofoam, mate. Every single book on this shelf. Uh, <laughs> it's actually that wallpaper that you could buy that just Looks yeah, like exactly. a you know? If I could exactly. just ask you, Carl, finally, like now that, that again, we, we're keeping our fingers crossed here. If this is over, right? If there's no yeah. new variants and that we're back to things again, um, uh, will this pandemic sort of change the way you see your your job as a musician or your calling, your vocation as a musician? Will you do things differently now in the future? Are you going to say, right, I'm going to make the most of this now. I'm going to play the songs that I really want. I'm going to screw country roads. I'm going to do this thing. Or are you going to go back to doing the same things? Do you think it's changed anything about what you do and how you make your money? Um, Yeah, in some ways, for sure, because I have been... Uh, since then I've been kind of branching out a bit I've started like I, I've been doing some graphic design which is something I really enjoy so I've been doing that for a kind of uh, freelancing you know what I mean just doing a few little jobs here and there I've been um, I started doing stand-up comedy I started kind of just branching out into I started hosting events which is also they're going to be stopped by the pandemic but it's it's a bit it's me branching out a bit you know what I mean and starting to think right it doesn't always have to just be music uh, I did comedy last night I was in Big Ben here which is good crack how did um, that go was it in yeah, English yeah it was good yeah yeah, I had a good laugh. Yeah, it went, went, went good. It was only my second attempt, actually. So it went good. It went really good. I was really happy. And um, is it, that's in English and Big Ben here in Stockholm, isn't it? Yeah, English at eight o'clock on a Thursday. There's English and English comedy in Big Ben, yeah, in Stockholm. And uh, the comedians are fantastic. They put me on after like uh, absolutely monsters, you know, and there's, and there's some well-known heads come in to try their new stuff and all. And So it's really good, actually. It's a good little scene. I have to say, of all the arts and all the things I've done, it is I've done everything from fucking presenting TV shows and commentating and matches and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. The one thing I've done that the only time I've ever been afraid was doing stand-up comedy in Dublin about 20, 25 years ago. And it really is, I have the height of respect for anybody who would do that. Is that something that you want to do more of now in the future? To be honest, yeah. Like, as I said, it's no more COVID-proof than gigging, than, you know, than my traditional gig. It's the same. Yeah. It's going to be just as bad. But... It's um, it's not something for the money. It's you're obviously not getting paid right for that. It's 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 a uh, it's one of those things. So you're just doing it for yourself. And it did it. One of the reasons I did it was for sure COVID. I don't know if I would have kept uh, these things, like bad times, kind of shake you up a bit. And and there's a lot to be said for things getting tough for a while because you do have the like you said this perspective of like right, I have to make the most of things now. Where where am I at? You know what I mean? What's going to happen? Well, like where am I at in my career and my life? A lot of sort of thing. 
So yeah, I just wanted to kind of try something new. And as you said, it is absolutely terrifying. Like I can chat away to anyone. I host events, like I host a big tattoo convention here in Sweden. I do, you know, I, like I'm, I'm, I'm used to being on stage completely, but I would like shake and then doubled over before I go on. Absolutely, you know, ready to, ready to run out of the room, to be honest, <laughs> ready to leg it. Uh, and that's the only time like yourself that I felt like afraid to stand up there. But it's, it's great. You get a great buzz then when it goes well, you know. That's the thing. Like the idea of standing, look at me, I'm funny. That's like, oh, and especially if there's Irish people in the room going, who's your man? <laughs> Who yeah. does he think he is, you know? Yeah. But as I say, now that all this is over, right, uh, if you were to pick one gig, we're trying to do some things now in the very near future, i.e. tomorrow, we're all going to see uh, Irish girl Eva Felici, who was on a recent episode of the podcast. She's playing hockey for AIK. We're all going to see it. So we're going to organize it. We all come down to see you play, right, at some time yeah. over the next few weeks. Give me a gig where everybody who listens to this podcast can come down to Stockholm and see you play. Where would you recommend? Uh, I'd recommend the Lissy in Stockholm for sure. Right. It's great. When? Yeah, I love, when, I love- when you, because I don't want to throw it up and you're not there. Uh, I'll be playing next weekend, the 4th and 5th of March. And then the I'll be there for Paddy's Day too. But I'm not sure what time, but I will be there for Paddy's Day. Grand. Okay. But I'll be so, there this weekend, 4th and 5th of March. Now, I might be a bit dodgy on the guitar because I have a broken finger at the moment. But uh, and that's uh, I'll, I'll manage. Do you play the it's guitar left-handed? Hand. I know. I, so it's my finger and hand. So I'll, I have to... I have to get creative, but luckily I play. I'm luckily I'm shite anyway. First of all, <laughs> playing guitar. Second of all, I am. Um, I I kind of I play in open tunings, so I've found I don't use like the guitar in the same way that a lot of other lads would. That this might be really really bad. Yeah. I can kind of work around it a bit more because I'm double jointed and and I play in a weird tuning. So I've kind of I'm a bit insulated against the the consequences of having two fingers to play the guitar or three even. So, so it's basically what you're telling me is that there's part musical gig, part fucking circus is what you're doing there in the 4th and 5th of March. As soon as I hear that tune, I know he's going on stage. Yeah. Well, well I'm going to be in Dublin next week on the 4th and 5th of March, but uh, around St. Patrick's Day, we'll definitely catch up and we'll be in to see you. But, uh, and we'll definitely have to have you back on to talk about stand-up comedy because we're only starting to peel that particular onion, you know? Oh, but for cool, now, cool, cool. Carl I'll be Murphy. on Metis as well. I'll be on Metis as well for the next uh, over like the odd weekend here and there because during the pandemic, another thing I did was I went out and played in the street again, which okay. is something I wouldn't have done otherwise. So, so you're going to head playing. back out to the streets and take the music to the people? Yeah, I had a little speaker. I played on Metis. The, the cops and everyone were, were dead cool about it. They never had a problem. I often had like a good crowd to come to Metis. I put it on my Instagram, you know? Yeah. And, and people would come like to, to watch me and bring a few beers and sit there and the cops let them away and all that. I'm very un-Swedish, but I remember like the cops passing by a few times kind of winking at me and giving me an old smile and, and being real cool about it. You, uh, you can you can pl- play anywhere basically in Sweden, but you're not meant to have an amp and you're not meant to, um, if, you, if someone asks you to move, you have to move along. That's yeah. basically it in Stockholm. That's so, a, uh, but that a few abertunes and that'll keep the police on side, you know? Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah, I was. I, I break out a bit of the, the police every time they went past, of course. But uh, they were, they they have a bit of sense of humour. They were they were dead cool. So I will be on Medis as well, and I'll be in the usual spots around Stockholm, and 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 yeah, keep an eye out for me at stand up and tattoo conventions and all this sort of shit. You know, all yeah. all sorts. And if people want to follow you on Instagram, Carl, where will they find you? Yes, please do. Uh, Murph Music. So Murph with an F, Murph Music, and Music with a K. Okay. So. At, at Murph Music on all platforms. If you just type Murph Music in, you'll probably get me on the Instagram and YouTube and all that. I'm not on Facebook though. I, I'm I'm I took a I took a run out of Facebook about two years ago, and thank God I did. I I don't miss it one bit. It's a bad place altogether. Jesus, yeah, if you, th- if you thought the pandemic was bad in the music business, you want to see the car crash that was Facebook. Oh, Listen, I couldn't be dealing with it. Thank God I was. That's the only saving grace of the whole situation, Phil. I wasn't on Facebook for any of this. <laughs> exactly. We talked about mental health earlier on. You would have been in a bleeding ball altogether. Oh, I was screaming at people in real life. I didn't need that. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Listen, Carl, thanks so much for talking to me and we'll meet up very, very soon. Thanks for asking me, Phil. I really appreciate it, mate. Oh,
That was Carl Murphy there singing with no less than Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine and the two boys singing Wolf Town songs uh, down in, I think it was in the Liffey. That, uh, you'll find the video up on his Instagram. It's just one of those bad things. It's really well worth following Carl on Instagram and it's really well worth going down and seeing him play if he's playing in any pub near you. We'll have to encourage him now to get down to to Gothenburg and to Malmo and maybe go up to Yavla and maybe well, we might even take a flight up to Lulia for the crack because he really is a great entertainer. A great singer and uh, has a great reservoir of songs there. So you can ask him and he can play pretty much anything. But Jesus, don't ask him to play Country Roads. It'd drive me bleeding mad altogether. These episodes are getting longer and longer. I'm looking at the clock now. We're up to about an hour and five minutes. And uh, I think the likes of Kevin Carroll over there uh, would just be out jogging or something like this when he does be listening to that. Either that or he's driving to work in the morning. So either his jogger, his jog is getting longer and longer or his journey to work is getting longer and longer. Or he'd be cursing me now because the whole thing isn't done by the time he gets to work in the morning. So my apologies, but sure as long as it's entertaining we try to keep these conversations going as i mentioned i will be off to dublin next week and hopefully we'll have some voices from the irish community over there in the meantime get in touch right remember this is your podcast this is for you it's for the things that you think are exciting or entertaining the things you want to tell people it's your stories and uh, i love going around the place and thinking okay who am i going to talk to this week but it's even better when you come to me and say look i'd like to hear from this person or I'd like to I'd like to tell you about this. And in the coming weeks there's loads of stuff going on with the Spuds and Sill Theatre group. I want to hear more from people around Gothenburg and from Malmo and Lulio and that kind of thing. And I will, as soon as I have a chance, I'm gonna nip up to Lulio because I don't think I've been that far north in this country. So I'm gonna come up and talk to you. So if you've any of those kinds of ideas, get in touch, right? I'll keep producing it. Even if you don't, I'll keep putting stuff out there, right? But I want to make this more about what you want to hear from it as well. Sure. In the meantime, take care of yourselves out there. I can see through the window that the sun is shining. The, the pandemic is over the winter will soon be over and we'll be back out kicking balls and jogging and going to work and doing all those things that we were able to do before maybe even listen to a bit of music as well take care of yourselves and i'll talk to you all very soon